0: Hello, this is David Sankser, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. So just a little bit about me really fast. I'm a member of Dave's leadership team, and I do a lot of a little around here, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm grateful that you're here this morning. And so we're in our series, The Gospel of Mark. And I think this is an awesome time to be reading the Gospels. Because believe it or not, we're on the run-up to Easter. It's going to be here before we know it. And I don't know about you, but reading the words of Jesus, those red letters in your Bible, like on the run-up to Easter, is just such a special time. So I'm so happy that we're doing this. So mark up to this point. Jesus is baptized. He calls his disciples. He starts healing people. Casting out demons. And then he does this curious thing. He starts to talk in a form of speech we call a parable. And a parable isn't something that, like, most people don't talk that way. But what it is, is a story that might be true, it might not be true. But the point of the story is true. So the big idea of today's message is this. The kingdom of God is not what you would expect. So if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, we're going to be working through verses 26 through 34. And you can kind of park it right there. Everything else that we're going to use should be on the wall behind me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give these people eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, that we would know that you live in these pages. That your word is holy. And that we would cherish it this morning. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts... And grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, and then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, that when sown upon the soil, is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So this section of scripture we have is two parables. And then there's these two little verses at the end that kind of suggests that Jesus talks differently to different people. He talks to the crowds with parables, but he talks to his disciples with deep explanations. So that made me ask this question. Which one am I? Right? Which group of people would I be in if I was there? And what is with the parables, anyway? So a parable is a short or simple story that illustrates a moral or spiritual truth. Jesus was famous for speaking in parables. And this is almost to his detriment, though, because this is kind of where we get that hippie, secular Jesus, the wise teacher. He just speaks in these parables, and it doesn't really matter who he is, but we'll accept these teachings. And I bet you most people, if you asked, they could provide for you one of these parables. They could roughly do it. We even name some of our laws after these parables. You have the Good Samaritan laws, so they're their famous teachings. But the details of the story don't necessarily have to be true for the point of the story to be true, okay? So a parable has this effective way you can teach people. You're telling them a story, and by the time they get to the end of the parable, you've told them something that might be true, complicated, or uncomfortable, right? It's not just this sing-songy song way. So when someone tells you a parable, what you should be doing, your antenna should go up because someone's gonna tell you something very uncomfortable, something that you might not wanna hear because otherwise they would've just said it to you, okay? So when we listen to these parables, what I want you to do is say, what is the uncomfortable truth that Jesus is about to tell me? So I made up a parable for you. And this is really silly but I just wanna show you like the mechanics of how it works. I come home and I say to my wife, honey, there was a man who worked very hard. And on his way home from work, all he wanted to do was get home to his family. And she's like, "Okay. Yeah, that that's you, right?" And I'm like, "Yes." And I said to her, "Excuse me, this Mike." I said to her, "I just I just don't know what I'm going to do about it. I need to get home to my wife. I need to do this faster." And she's like, "Okay." And I said, "That man bought a Mustang." And I know that it's cheesy, okay, but Do you see the point? When she heard me telling her this parable, she's like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we doing here? So that's silly. But parables aren't just a New Testament phenomenon either. There's actually a really good parable in the Old Testament that the prophet Nathan says to David. So I want to work through that with you today. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. I don't have this one on the wall for you, but I'll read it to you. And you'll see where we're going with this, how these parables work. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, Tennis should be going up. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb excuse me, that he bought. He raised her and grew up with him and she with his children. From his meager food, meaning the lamb, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink. And in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. So that's about as close as you're going to get in the Bible to like the loyal man and his dog story. Right? This little, if you're a dog owner, you know what that's like. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. And that's a nice way of saying they ate it. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. So now here's where Nathan drops the bomb on David. He says, you are that man This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel in Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's commands by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. He told him a parable because he knows that David was not going to hear it until he got to the end of the story. You see how it worked. David was enraged, but Nathan says, you are the man. And so Nathan could have walked in the door, I'm the prophet, I speak for God, waved his finger at him. But this was actually a compassionate act because Nathan didn't want to just you know, be harsh with David. So David gets the point. He listened to the parable. And uh, was it verse, whatever it was, he says, I repented, so David repented to God. So that's how the parables work, okay? So they have this mechanism. And you're probably going to get sick of hearing me say the word parable because that is all that we are going to talk about today. So let's go back to our main text this morning. Jesus begins to teach the crowds in parables. And Jesus' preaching ministry could have looked a lot different, right? If, if we thought Nathan had clout, Jesus could have just came and said, I am God, here's what I have to tell you, I don't care if you get it. Right? Like, he didn't have to be compassionate, because that's really what a parable is. It's a way to let people down softly. And I feel like that's kind of what we do in the church today, Right? Like, Jesus could have talked to everyone like the experts do. He could have used all these big church words that we use. Substitutionary atonement, progressive sanctification, election. No. Jesus spoke to the people very plainly, okay? Jesus does not talk down to people, nor does he talk over people, and when Jesus was ministering to us in the gospel, we read about a Jesus who wept, who had compassion. He pitied people. This was a king that people did not expect. So our main passage today is two parables. and We're going to work through them, but I want you, what I want you to do when we read them, put your antennas up and say, what is the uncomfortable truth here that Jesus is trying to tell me? Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. This parable is in all four Gospels, so this is something that Jesus really wants us to listen to. Starting in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. So Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to just this humble farmer casting seed on the ground. But did you catch it? Did you catch what's uncomfortable about that? Verse 27 says, although he doesn't know how. The farmer doesn't even know how all these natural processes work. The kingdom of God is near, but you have no idea how it works. Because what the parable is saying to us is it's not about you, it's about me. Because ultimately, the germination of the seed, the growing of the grain, and all those processes, the farmer even says, "I, I don't know how it works, but it does. And so this is how the kingdom of God works. It's an uncomfortable truth. It's not about you. The kingdom of God is not about you It's not about me. It's about God. Alistair Begg talks about the kingdom of God like this. The kingdom of God is vastly different from any earthly kingdom that has existed or will exist. Earthly kingdoms are under the sway of sovereigns whose power is limited and will eventually decline. But God's kingdom, far more than a geopolitical entity or a piece of history, It is everlasting, universal, and personal, and his dominion over it will endure through all generations. This is a vastly different worldview from any we're confronted with on a daily basis. Today's Western culture praises personal achievements and self-sufficiency. We're encouraged to believe that we are in control. But when God's kingdom comes into our lives and when we pray for Jesus to take his rightful place on the throne, A revolution takes place. We need not be panic-stricken or tyrannized by any shift in earthly power. Instead, we can rejoice in our Lord who is sovereign over all these things. And I think that's beautiful. The kingdom of God is not like we would expect. So much of the kingdom of God is things that we cannot see, things that we cannot understand, things that we cannot figure out, but that's okay because it's not about us. It's about God. The uncomfortable truth is that God's coming kingdom has so little to do with us, and that should be a relief. The seed grows, even though the farmer does not know how. People in our culture want to be in control. We think we can control the weather. We think we can control what a marriage is. We think we can control what a gender is. We think we can control when a life begins. We're control freaks, we have a God complex. We are so me-centric in the church today. I even have a problem with the way we say, I got saved. Like you had anything to do with it, right? (laughs) Jesus saved you. And I know we use that as a turn of phrase, but it's just so ingrained in our culture, the me-centric nature of church. And I'll tell you, churches are always catering to new people. They're like, how do we get people in the door? Okay? And then people who come in the door are like, what's this church going to do for me? Okay? So we need to de me the church, because okay? the kingdom of God is not about you. The seed grows, even though we do not know how. Okay, Next parable, Mark 4, 30-32. This is the mustard seed parable. It is quite famous, and I'll read it for you now. And he said, Jesus... With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. Stop for a second. When I told you about the parables, that actually might not be true, by the way. Like The mustard seed might not actually be like the smallest of all the seeds. So it's not that Jesus is lying to you, but he's telling you a parable, okay? And when sown, the mustard seed... It comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. That also might not be 100% true. I don't think mustard plants grew like redwood trees or whatever. So this is a famous parable. I'm sure there's at least one of you in the room. I know I have. I've said, Lord, give me a mustard seed of faith. Right. So we intuitively know what's happening here. Something small grows up into something big but did you catch the uncomfortable truth what jesus is asking us is are you the listener are you willing to be small for god are you willing to be small for the kingdom of god because that's that goes against our base instincts right we live in the west we, we're a um, growth oriented we're goal-driven your high school guidance counselor pulls you into the offices you know like what are you going to do for the world all this other stuff I'm not saying that's wrong, but in the kingdom of God, what God really wants you to do is be small. He wants you to reduce yourself so that he can use you to do his will because that's more powerful than anything you can do on your own. The kingdom of God looks different than all the other kingdoms on earth. right? In this kingdom, the meek inherit the earth. The leader is a servant. You pray for those who persecute you you love your enemies and you must submit to a king and i tell you that is the hardest thing for me cuz like i'm a good old american boy i just like i was brought up to hate the king right like that's in our ethos right we fought a war over this okay and i think this is hard for people in the west because it's not that democracy is a bad thing but in its proper context it's all those processes of democracy must operate under the real king, okay? The, the kingdom of God is not about you. It's about being small so that God can use you. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the musical Hamilton, and my wife made me watch it, and I liked it. I'll tell you what my favorite part was. In the, in the So spoiler alert, I know it's whatever, you've probably seen it. When you see King George in the musical, he's a joke. Like, he's comic relief. And I remember sitting there laughing, going, the king, ha, 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 right? So, like, we have this distaste for the monarchy here in the West. Like, you know, I know we have that celebrity thing where we care about the royals across the pond there, but, like, we know, like, there's a part of us that's like, that is a joke. But what I'm telling you is is that that attitude, in some ways, is a struggle that people here in America, this church, in our country that we're always going to have. We don't want to submit because we think we are in control. It's hardwired into the American spirit. And so I want to show you an example of Jesus showing you what it looks like to get small for God. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as man, he humbled himself, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So when we talk about being small for God, what we really just mean is the word obedience. If you want to be a good citizen of the kingdom of God, you are going to be obedient to his will. You put aside what you want, what you need, what you feel for the kingdom of God. And that's what getting small for God really looks like. And as I spent time with this passage, I started to realize that this theme of getting small for God, it's through the whole New Testament. Right? If we look to some of our church fathers and we just look at some of their words and their actions, we see what getting small looks like. John the Baptist says in John's Gospel, he must increase, meaning Jesus, but I must decrease, getting small. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I am the least of the apostles. This is the guy that wrote like 40% of the New Testament, considers him the least. Church history tells us that when Peter the apostle was finally crucified, when he met his martyr's death, excuse me, he has to be crucified upside down because he knew he wasn't worthy to die like his Lord. This is what getting small really looks like. When Jesus was in the garden and he was about to meet his human end, if you will, this is what he said. Uh, The Bible says, Jesus went a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you take this cup away from me nevertheless not what i will but what you will not what i will but what you will and so that's powerful these great men of the bible and women too they they said i need to get small for god so that he can use me because the things that grow up out of our flesh it's not good it's not good And I want to make an important distinction here. Getting small for God is not like some act of subservience. It's not weakness, okay? Because it's not going to look the same for all of us, right? Leaders are going to have to serve. Extroverts, sometimes you're going to have to keep quiet. Introverts, sometimes you're going to have to speak up. If you don't like worship, sometimes you're going to have to let yourself go. If you love worship, Sometimes you got to tune it down just a little bit, maybe to make someone next to your brother and sister feel more comfortable. But what's going to happen is, when God asks you to go against your base instincts and your flesh, what he's going to put in that place is something greater than that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, this was, in that time, a death that was so undignified. It was brutal. This was not a death worthy of a king. He could have got down right then and there. He could have summoned the armies of heaven. He didn't do that. His attitude was, Father, your will, not mine. And so this obedience of Christ, I want to tell you something. That's like a nuclear bomb in the spiritual war. Okay? Nothing is more upsetting to the devil than someone saying, not my will, but yours. When we do the will of the Father, that is like living in another kingdom. And so when we think of this parable, when we think about the mustard seed, I want the church, and I'm gonna, it's going to start with me, what I want us to start thinking about is, what can I do for God? What can I do for the church? Not what can the church do for me? What can God do for me? It's difficult. It's difficult. And I want to say one more thing about verse 32 of Mark chapter 4. It's at the end of the parable of the mustard seed. It says that the mustard seed grew into a plant so big that the birds of the air could nest in it. And I want you to know in this context, birds are bad. Like This isn't a good thing, actually. Um, in other parables, we see the birds come and gobble up the seed before it can sprout. Abraham has to chase vultures away before the covenant ceremony can happen. So for the sake of today, at least, birds are bad. And so the kingdom of God... If people are obedient, the people of God's kingdom that grows out of the mustard seed is so big and so unexpected that even the birds of the air can take refuge in the church. That's that, that is like a kingdom you've never been a part of. That even the enemies of God or the people who are far away from God, if we do what we're supposed to do, we submit and 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 we pray and, and we worship the right way. There's refuge for them in our church, people. That, that isn't a, that's not like any other kingdom you've ever been a part of. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Because ultimate justice, all those things, that's for the king. Because in a monarchy, there is no trials and all that other stuff, all those freedoms that you have. It's up to him. But our king is good and true and just. And so Jesus speaks to us in parables because this stuff is it's hard to understand, and we don't really want to hear Who wants to hear? The guys up here, it's not about you. Get small for God. Put your desires away. That's not, it's not really that fun. I mean, I would kind of wish the Bible said otherwise. Do you, bro, you know? But when Jesus is done with the parables, verse 34 of our main passage today, it says, He, Jesus, did not speak to them without a parable, meaning the crowds, but privately... He explained everything to his own disciples. So the encouragement is this. I want everyone in this room to know how lucky you are this morning. Because when we read in the Gospels about the crowds of people, thousands of people would just go out to hear Jesus say some parable. And that's not that that's fantastic, but that's all they got. They lined the streets when Jesus would walk through and people would just be lucky to, to grab a piece of his clothing, right? But the disciples got everything explained to them. They had a private audience with Jesus Christ. But what I want to tell you this morning is that you do too. You are luckier than all those people who got to see Jesus' like, preaching ministry, right? We don't think of it like that. That's how special the word of God is. You have the Bible, where Jesus gives you a private audience with him, where he explains everything. You're one of his disciples now. You get a private audience with the king of creation. And so as we're leading up to Easter here and reading the gospels, I want you to dig in. I want you to realize that anytime your life is going crazy, you're thinking about yourself or you can't get small for God, you think it's about you or your life's going crazy, if you can just open this, you have a private audience with your king. That's not a kingdom that most people have ever lived in. Do you have access to any king that you know or the president or whatever? No, but you have access to the king of the universe. And you might say, well, you know, like, I'm not a very good reader or I have a short attention span and that might be true. But, like, you can go to the dollar store right now and buy a Bible. You can download it for free on your phone. They have audiobook Bibles. They even have this really cool comic book Bible. I'm telling you, it's awesome. Like, it's got real scripture in it. So, we don't have any excuse to get to know the king of our kingdom, right? And so, when the birds of the air come and tell you, don't read your Bible, or they might say, how do we know that that's really what it says it is, right? Just know that the only reason that they can come at you and rest is because the kingdom of God has grown up out of people's obedience, centuries and millennium of obedience. And so that says it all to us this morning. Jesus talked to his disciples and he explained everything, but my encourage it for you this morning... You are a disciple now. And don't take that for granted because it is so special. You have a private audience with the king of creation. And that is a very unexpected kingdom. So if you are one of the people in here, if you feel like you haven't heard from God in a while, all you have to do is open this up. Because when you read the words in the Bible, that is literally the King of the Universe speaking to you through those pages, through those words, in your ear, earbuds if you're an audiobook person. If you have not heard from God in a while, if you want Him to explain everything to you privately, it's all right here. Thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that. You are the right king for us. That you say, do away with your flesh, and I will make you new again. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And Lord, I pray over the people hearing me today that they would see that they need to reduce the things of this world so that they can be replaced with the things of your kingdom. I pray a special blessing over all my loved ones at church today, over all my brothers and sisters. And Lord, we look forward to when the King comes home. And I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Have a great week and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.